The parish likes to, to look at kind of the bigger picture. A priest is an altar Christus. They just go, go, go. In the zeal full of Jesus Christ. There is compassion for poor people. And it has this beautiful historic church. Heaven coming down to earth. Thanks be to God. From the Rome of the West, this is the Catholic Gateway Podcast. Your audio gateway into the Archdiocese of St. Louis. On each episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast, we'll tell the stories about the interesting people, places, and events that make up the Archdiocese of St. Louis. We'll also give an update on Catholic news, courtesy of the reporters from the St. Louis Review and Catholic St. Louis Magazine, the official publications of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. So with trust in the Holy Spirit, let's begin. Welcome to another episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast. I'm Gabe Jones. A few weeks ago, on a bright and sunny spring day in St. Louis, I made a trip to the Queen of Peace Center in the Central West End neighborhood. The Queen of Peace Center is located in a stately building on beautiful grounds near the Cathedral Basilica of St. Louis. I'm here to meet Lara Pennington, CEO of Queen of Peace Center. As I enter, I can hear the sounds of the child care center here in the building, which is just one of the services they offer. In her office, Laura shares a brief history of the center. We were started in 1985 by Catholic Charities, and at the time the crack epidemic was on the rise, and there was a need to serve women, mothers specifically, who were struggling with addiction. So most treatment centers at that time, and really still to this day, serve single adult men, single adult women, and not parents, parents who have children in their custody. So we were started really to treat the whole family. Um, We believe that addiction impacts the whole family, that addiction is multi-generational, and so our work is really to help break the cycle of addiction in families and in communities by providing family-centered treatment to women with addiction their children and families. And we do that through um, four core programs, prevention, education, treatment, and housing. I wanted to visit Queen of Peace Center because of their work with women struggling with addiction, and specifically because, as Laura says, of the battle they're fighting in the opioid epidemic. It's no secret that heroin and opiate addiction is a serious problem here in our area and around the country. And Laura told me they are seeing more demand for their services. QPC reported impacting 2,106 individuals in fiscal year 2016, with 48% of clients reporting heroin or opiates as their primary, secondary, or tertiary drug of choice. To combat this problem, QPC takes a holistic approach and offers a wide variety of services. When women come to them, either by self-referral, through other clinics, other nonprofits, or other Catholic Charities agencies, jails, or as a condition of probation or parole, numerous resources are available to those women. We have the substance use counselor, a community support specialist, parent educator, family counselor, as I had previously mentioned, two physicians and a nurse, as well as a peer specialist. Queen of Peace Center also gets referrals from hospitals. So I met with David Hasis, manager of outpatient behavioral health at Highland Center at St. Anthony's Hospital to ask him what they're seeing. 
heroin is everywhere. It's a drug that everybody is using. It's not um, just poor people. It's not just people who, I guess, society typically thinks. Uh, but basically, I think what's happening is that it's cheaper, you know, than buying an opiate uh, medication on the street. It's easier to get. Um, so you're, you're having you're having those things. And and I think that the opiates, the heroin that comes out now, you know, is a lot purer. Um, some of it can be a lot more dangerous. Just how dangerous? According to numbers from the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Abuse, as reported recently in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, in St. Louis City and the eight counties that make up the immediate metro area, 650 people fatally overdosed on opiates in 2016. 256 of those deaths were in the city of St. Louis. For perspective, less than a decade ago in 2007, 153 people fatally overdosed in that same eight-county area. On a national level, according to the American Society of Addiction Medicine, in 2015, 33,000 persons died from overdoses of prescription drugs or heroin, and an estimated 2 million Americans are addicted to prescription opioid pain relievers. 591,000 are addicted to heroin. What is the cause of the problem? Well, Dave says the prevalence of prescription drugs is a big factor. It usually starts when someone has a car accident or develops some sort of chronic pain, and then they realize they need relief to continue their normal lives. And they might have legitimate pain issues. But what happens is people are put on these medications and they build a dependence. And now dependence is different than addiction. The doctors are not necessarily preparing people for that dependence. That's why Dave says it's important to have a pain medication doctor, not just a primary care physician or surgeon, to help you manage the pain so that you develop a pain tolerance, not a medication tolerance. He's seen patients who are doing everything properly by going through rehab, working with their doctor, but it gets to a point where the doctor won't prescribe any more medication because it could be harmful. But that difference between dependence and addiction can be fuzzy. So Lara at Queen of Peace Center says there are important warning signs. Isolation, depression. You know, if their loved one is spending a lot of money, you don't know where that money is going. Um, Looking at their social circle, who are they spending the majority of their time with. Lines of communication. You know, if your loved one, you know, if their general mode of operation is consistent and transparent communication and you notice a shift in that over the course of time, of course that would be a red flag. Here's what Dave sees in patients who come to him. Your pain is more intense because um, you have built this tolerance, so the pain doesn't, the pain medication doesn't help you anymore. So what what you're looking for is more and more, and so your 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 mind is now thinking about just how do I how do I get beyond this pain, and so you're going to start feeling, uh, again, depression. You're going to isolate yourself. You're going to you know try to get 
this medication any way you can, um, whether that be I'm taking more of what I have and then you run out, or um, I have a friend who I went to rehab with um, who has a couple pills, I'm going to buy them from them, you know, and that's when this, it changes to this addiction piece of it. And that's when it becomes a big issue. So what could keep someone from recognizing the problem? Dave says simply, it could be too embarrassing. And you have this idea that drugs are bad, right? And everybody knows it. And nobody wants to admit that I've got a problem. You know, some people are okay with um, saying, hey, I've got a problem. I'm going to be open and honest about this. I can figure this out. And it's great. Most people have to go through a process, though. Most people have to come to a point where this is affecting my life. Laura boils it down to two words. You know, I think the biggest barrier is fear. And I think the biggest barrier is stigma. And like with any habit, so to speak, you know, whether it's addiction to food or to tobacco or to drugs or to alcohol, or it's, you know, our own personal challenges with lifestyle changes like exercise and just healthy habits, it's very difficult to change. And not everyone is at the same stage of motivation and stage of change. We try to the best of our ability to meet clients where they are and to help them in any way that we can and really work with them at their stage of change and their level of motivation and to meet them there and try to accompany them in that process. You know, those are real and significant barriers, um, but they're ones that our staff are committed to working through. I have to admit, this was probably the most challenging podcast episode to produce to this point. Part of that was because of the amount of content. I had more than an hour's worth of audio from two qualified professionals to begin with. So as with those last two clips, you might hear a bit of redundancy throughout this episode. But I think that's important to hear to help emphasize some of the points. Another reason this episode was a challenge was simply because this is a tough topic that, for many people in our community, is literally a life-and-death issue. To save lives, professionals like Laura and Dave are hoping that society at large will follow the lead of their field and start to recognize addiction as a disease. They both believe that will help. We are seeing now that medication-assisted treatment is a critical complement to the work that we've done here for 30 years, not unlike the disease of diabetes or heart disease. We, too, have to treat addiction-like disease, and one of which that's managed um, through lifestyle modifications and through medicine. If we are not treating it, as we would a cancer patient or a person who has diabetes, then that stigma will continue and we will continue to have issues because people are not going to come out and they're not going to get better. And that's what needs to happen, is that we first need to get rid of the stigma and support and love the people who have this issue, who have this disease. In a previous job, Dave says he actually did outreach to patients who had both a physical health issue and a mental health issue because both play an important role when dealing with issues of pain management and addiction. And it can affect anyone. Nobody is above the idea of abusing a drug. Um, You can either have the mental health issues 
that turn into abuse because they're self-medicating or, or that kind of stuff, or you have the um, the drug use, and then you have a mental health issue coming from the back end. Dave told me he has a passion for running, and freely admits he probably abused drugs when his knees started acting up. To mask the pain, I started using ibuprofen, and I would take five or six ibuprofen just to be able to run. And I, it would mask it, but then I ended up having to have surgery and all this kind of stuff because I was masking the, masking the issue. And it can be the same thing with the pain medication that people are taking, you know? This is what they do. They start just to get through, just to get through, and, that, and that's what it is. And so anybody can abuse a drug, and abuse is different than addiction. Abuse is when we, when we start using something in a negative way. And it's not about abuse of the drug. It's not like we're beating up the drug. It's abuse of us. It's abu- we start doing things to ourselves that negatively affect our lives. But that is the abuse. It's not necessarily the addiction. It's when we start, when we start using it abnormally, using it in a different, in a different way. Um, and then the addiction comes a little bit later. Now, what about faith? How does that impact this? Dave says faith provides consistency. In order to recover, there has to be consistency. There has to be this, uh, this idea of um, stabilization in your life. Stabilization from um, the chaos that the substance of whatever kind, especially heroin, brings. Laura, too, recognizes the part faith plays in the lives of women they see. And most women that we work with are incredibly and deeply spiritual and find tremendous strength in identifying um, with a higher power and and really obtaining peace and knowing that there is a higher power who can help them in their journey of healing and recovery. So is there hope? You know, while the heroin and opioid epidemic has ravaged our community and there is significant pain and suffering, there is hope. For as many stories we hear of what feels like hopelessness, Um, we hold on to that glimmer of hope because we do see every day those women who um, have made that courageous decision to to change their lives, and they need help, and we really approach this together. Laura shared a success story of one of their clients. She didn't use her name for privacy purposes, but you can hear just how amazing her story is. She started with us in treatment, and she did wonderfully. She eventually obtained a job. And long story short, at this point, she had you know, graduated from our agency um, and really wanted to get back. So we ended up hiring her. Eventually, she worked with us as a peer specialist, really using her story of hope and recovery to help foster hope and recovery for the other hundreds and thousands of clients that we serve. And now, you know, she has an incredibly healthy relationship with her family. Um, She's working full-time. She's moved on from us, but she's helping really work with women across the community who are impacted by incarceration and addiction. And she is a staunch recovery advocate. So she has traveled Jefferson City to Washington, D.C. to advocate for public policy and advocacy changes. She's an incredible woman.
If you're listening to this and want to address your drug use before it becomes an addiction, or to see help for your addiction, you can do a few things. Contact a specialist, like Dave at St. Anthony's Hospital. Call 314-525-4400 to get in one of their many treatment programs. You can also simply go to a hospital's emergency room and tell them you want help. St. Anthony's also offers free Dutera bags, which deactivate medication and allows you to safely dispose of it in the trash. You can also seek out Queen of Peace Center for help. Visit them online at qopcstl.org or call them at 314-531-0511, extension 102. If you're wondering what to do if you think a loved one needs help, Dave and Laura have some advice. At one point, there is nothing that you can do to necessarily change somebody's mind. You know, there's... You can, there are interventions you can make, you, you know, that kind of thing. But ultimately, they are making their choices. But if you think somebody is going to hurt themselves or hurt somebody else, you should call the police. You know, you should call 911, and that is the way to get them help. A lot of times, and it's really sad, people have to hit complete rock bottom before they, before a person can actually get help for another person. It can be incredibly difficult when you know that your loved one is struggling with an addiction. You know, we do get calls every day from family members who are asking that same thing. You know, the important part is that the individual who's struggling themselves, they have to make the choice because it's their journey. Um, but the family members can receive services of their own as well. And so it really becomes everyone involved in um, the system of addiction has their own recovery process. And so when I meet with family members who are so deeply impacted by their loved one's addiction, I remind them of that. Now, if you are someone who has a loved one who's struggling with an addiction and they, the, the loved one is not ready to seek help, I encourage those family members to seek help themselves, to receive counseling and support so they can best learn how to communicate, to establish consistent and healthy boundaries so as to prevent enabling of the disease itself. And you know, there's terminology we use in the work. It's um, compassionate and loving detachment. You know, how do you show compassion and love to someone who's struggling? Part of it is working your own recovery process, too. So, you know, we work really closely with the National Council for Alcoholism and Drug Abuse, the St. Louis chapter, and they provide phenomenal resources to family members to identify those signs and symptoms and to help them navigate the early stages of pretreatment. You know, we, Queen of Peace Center, we are the agency that really works with individuals once they have made the decision to seek help. That being said, we still, as I mentioned, get calls from family members, are happy to take those calls. But because we are a voluntary program, we work, you know, with that client and their, their family, but ultimately it has to be the client's choice. No matter how hard it gets, Dave says the most important thing is always be there. 
regardless of you know what it is you have to set boundaries as as a family member or a friend you know that kind of stuff you have to live your life you have to take care of yourself if you do not take care of yourself then you are going to be um, not able to be there for when they actually are ready because they have to be ready to make a difference in their life um, but you have to be ready for when they are ready so that's living your life, you know, going to the gym, taking care of yourself, doing the things that you can, but always showing back up. When I was doing outreach, uh, a big portion of my career, that's what we talked about, is you always go back. That's what you have to do, is you're giving an opportunity. You're putting your hand out and saying, hey, are you ready? And you're hoping one day that they grab it and they're going to grab that hand and you're going to go with them and you're going to make a difference in their life. But, it, but if you're not taking care of yourself and continue, continuously throwing that hand out there, then you're going to miss that opportunity. You must continue to give those opportunities and be there. If you're concerned about somebody, that, that's, that's the best thing to do, is you show up and you say, hey man, is it today? Thanks for listening to the Catholic Gateway Podcast. To learn more about the issue of opioid addiction and how Catholics are responding around the country, read the article published in the National Catholic Register back in February 2017 by Nick W. Smith. It's entitled, Catholics Bring Light to the Darkness of Opioid Addiction. We'll also include a link in the podcast description. Now here's a look at the news and events happening around the Archdiocese of St. Louis for the week of June 12, 2017. A special session on pro-life legislation has been called by Missouri Governor Eric Greitens. According to the governor's website, he announced his plan to call the legislature back for a special session beginning Monday, June 12, to protect the lives of the innocent unborn. The session will focus on protecting pregnancy resource centers and proposals for common-sense health and safety standards in abortion clinics. The legislature could also address the recent abortion sanctuary ordinance enacted in the city of St. Louis. Follow the St. Louis Review for ongoing updates. Archbishop Carlson's eight-year anniversary of being installed as Archbishop of St. Louis was Saturday, June 10th. He celebrated by doing what else but confirmations at the Cathedral Basilica. The Feast of Corpus Christi is on Thursday, June 15th. The Feast of Corpus Christi celebrates the reality of the body and blood of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Project Life, a week-long service project run by the Office of Youth Ministry, is returning June 11th through 16th and will be based out of St. Vincent de Paul Parish and School in Perryville. Work sites will be around Perry County. Project Life gathers teens from various backgrounds to be transformed by the gospel call to love one another through service to those in need. And the Catholic Education Office hosted its annual Health and Safety Summit on Thursday, June 8th. Presenters covered a variety of topics for the morning and afternoon sessions, including dealing with grief, head injury and concussion, and protecting God's children for certification. Pastors, principals, teachers, among others, were on hand for the various discussions. Now here are the five quintessential stories from the St. Louis Review, handpicked by the staff for you to share and discuss this week. You can find these stories online at stlouisreview.com slash 
five things, that's a numeral five things, or in the paper dated June 12th through 18th, 2017. Kenrick Glennon days. Dave Luking has a story up how these days are giving young men a taste of what it's like in the life of a seminarian and priest. Summer Melt. Jennifer Brinker has a story focusing on educators who cite their faith as a reason for helping students. St. Louis Graduates helps recent high school grads close the gap in finalizing plans to attend college. Read Joe Kenny's story on how a statue and devotion to Our Lady of Fatima played a role in the exorcism of a child at Alexian Brothers Hospital. The Golden Griffins varsity baseball team at Viani is holding their head high after an elimination loss in the state semifinals. Read how the Griffins are understanding the big picture. And the Criminal Justice Ministry gave an award to the Archdiocese and Archbishop Carlson for his support. And the ministry continues to seek support to cover the state funding that was cut. Joe Kenny has the story. There is a look at what is happening around the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Remember, for these stories and more, visit us online at stlouisreview.com and archstl.org. Thanks for listening to the Catholic Gateway Podcast. On this second segment of every episode, we always talk to someone from the St. Louis Review. And uh, I spent so much time editing and putting together that first segment of the podcast, which you just heard on opioid addiction. I I really think it turned out well. So uh, make sure you listen to it, which if you're listening to this point of the podcast, you've probably listened to the first segment. So uh, make sure you listen to that, though. And uh, spending so much time in that, I needed uh, a quick interview with someone from the St. Louis Review because... We usually dedicate the second segment to someone with the review. And I realized uh, we had not had on Abigail Witte, who is my uh, cubicle mate, I guess. You're kind of like, you're yes. right, you sit right behind me. So cubicle Abigail, buddies. yeah. So welcome on to the Catholic Gateway podcast. Aw, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. You're, you're pinch hitting. Really, yeah, I hope you, hope you don't hitting. feel don't feel bad about no, yourself. No, I don't feel bad. That's an important. I hate the role. sound of my own voice, so it's fine. Okay, well, you don't have to listen to this episode. Okay. You listen to all the other episodes, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> They're okay. awesome, by the way. Well, thanks. I, I do uh, do try to make them make them good for everybody because uh, these are important stories to tell, and um, you know, young adults like you and and me, that's uh, a it's a way we we like to to do things, right? Is, yes. is listen to podcasts, yes. so we like to receive happened. information. But uh, Abigail is, uh, besides just sitting there behind me in, in the same cubicle area, uh, she does have a job, and she uh, designs the review. She puts the paper together every week. So what you see in print is her handiwork, obviously with a lot of other people helping out. So Abigail, uh, I don't want to take a ton of time um, with, with this segment, but give us a quick rundown of your week. What does your week look like in putting that paper together? Because it's, it's a weekly paper. Yep. People might think, oh, well, you sit around all week, and then one day you put it together, and that's it. But... <laughs> There's a lot more that goes into it. <laughs> that's actually one thing that's funny. Whenever I introduce myself to someone new and I'm like, oh, I work for the St. Louis Review, they're like, oh, what do you write? <laughs> actually, I just designed the paper. Yeah, um, just. It, <laughs> that's all. you got to like, give yourself a little more credit than that. It, okay. Well, yeah, it's um, it can be kind of up and down throughout the whole week. I start out Monday. Usually I actually create the pages in our um, data, what do you call it, like a database system, our G, we call it mm-hmm. GPS. I'm not yeah. sure what the technical term for that is, but. Workflow is, processing. or yeah, yeah, it holds like all of our stories in it. Like um, it reads back and forth between the program that I use and it makes it easy to transfer content back yeah. and forth basically. <clears throat> Excuse me. I 
Um, so I make the pages in there, and then Steven, my boss, he gives me the ad sales sheet, and between Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, it's just a matter of um, kind of putting the initial layout in the InDesign program, Adobe InDesign that I use, and adding the ads in there, and then placing ads. Like, it could get kind mm -hmm. of boring at the beginning of the week, but then once Tuesday and Wednesday rolls around, um, the reporters usually have their stories in. So then I could start laying out the paper, and most of the paper is uh, pretty straightforward with... You know where stories are going to be pretty yeah, much. Yeah, there's usually a set, like, place for each story. Yeah. So it's not too hard to think about. But, but it's still, it can be sort of tricky sometimes. I've heard overheard you having conversations with, with Stephen about, like, okay, how do we fit this ad in? Or how can we make sure this story works with the way yeah. these ads are lining up? And, and so it can be kind of tricky. Yeah, it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle. Right. The reporters can sometimes um, write more or less than what they're expected to write. So it can make it hard if, we, you know, we don't know, like, we have to make this picture bigger or smaller. We can't add photos in this page because we don't have space for it, whatnot. Um, so if anyone's ever, like, done something in Microsoft Word, like put a, a college paper together with pictures and whatever, mm -hmm. and, like, had the frustration of dealing with formatting, that's your life. That's what you do on a daily basis, right? Yep. Is <laughs> yep. Formatting, make sure this picture fits, and, and yeah. You know, graphic design is, like, that thing that you appreciate without realizing it because <laughs> yeah. most people, you know, you don't think about, oh, there's a person that actually does this sort of job yeah so when the people listen to this podcast like if you pick up the review you have abigail to thank for for laying it out and making it pretty i mean really it's a it's a good looking paper it's easy to read it has a, a good flow to it um and and it doesn't just happen by accident thank so. you yeah and you know if there's any bad design that's not by me that's not you that okay right. all right well we'll keep that yeah. in mind <laughs> <laughs> but it, i get more creative um like with the living our faith section that main feature story spread we have in the middle of the paper um, that's kind of like the highlight of the paper each mm -hmm. week. I can do some more fun things with fonts and colors and whatnot. Um, Wednesdays are crazy, yeah. as you know. It's our deadline day, so. Well, and people listening to this may not know, but, yeah, Wednesday is the, the deadline day. That's when they put the paper to print. Yeah. Uh, um, so they, they spend all day frantically proofreading and putting <laughs> yes. things together. And, you know, you think, oh, it's a weekly paper. Uh, you know, I see it on, you know, Friday or you make it in the mail on Saturday. Well, they go to print, like I said, on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So a couple of days before that. So and then and then they're off to the next issue. So it's it is kind of a it's a constant flow yeah. that we're working on. Um, but, yeah, I just to like break down Wednesdays. It's just uh, finishing up, like kind of perfecting the pages and then printing out proof pages for the reporters to proof and check over. And if there's anything that needs to be changed or fixed, then they give that back to me and then I fix it and then I print them out again and then they, you know, double check. And then if it's fine, then I could like send that to the place where we get it printed and hopefully all in before five o'clock. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. And there are some days where it doesn't quite oh, yeah. get done by five o'clock. And sometimes so. before five. Yeah. So Those it's, good days. it's, uh, Wednesdays, I know just being around and watching you guys, it can be a little crazy. So I try to stay out of the way on Wednesdays. <laughs> We're not recording Appreciate this on a Wednesday <laughs> because I would never dare pull any of you away from the important work you do on Wednesdays. So, Thank you. uh, if you ever call That's us helpful. on Wednesday or email us on Wednesday or whatever, um, 
you're probably it's not going to be um, a good chance that you'll hear from the St. Louis Review people. You might hear from me <laughs> or Elizabeth Westhoff or whatever, but uh, right. Review is going to be a little busy on Wednesday. So yes, just so we you know. are in the zone. Yeah. Well, Abigail, thanks for coming on real quick on the Catholic Gateway podcast here and talking just a little bit you're about welcome. what you do. And uh, you'll have to uh, have to share this with your parents and your friends now. You're I know. first time on the Catholic Gateway podcast. Yes, first yes. time on a podcast, right? Yes. Yeah. Wow, this is great. We're making history <laughs> all the time. I'm always bringing new people on the podcast here. This is great. And, yes, I'll um, be sure to share it. Maybe maybe when you start your own podcast, you mm-hmm. can you can reference mine and say you were on a, a podcast. I first, would definitely so. do that. Very good. Well, thank you for listening to the Catholic Gateway podcast. That's Abigail Whitty, and I'm your host Gabe Jones. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast. We always welcome story tips and ideas for the podcast. Just send them to communications at archstl.org. That's communications at archstl.org. Make sure to connect with us on social media to stay up to date with what's going on here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for Archdiocese of St. Louis. We're on Twitter at ArchSTL is our handle there, at ArchSTL. And we're on Instagram, at CatholicSTL. And you should follow the St. Louis Review. They're on Facebook, also Twitter and Instagram, under the handle, at St. Louis Review. That's St. Louis Review. The Catholic Gateway Podcast is a production of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. I'm your host, Gabe Jones. We hope you'll join us again next time here in the Gateway to the West, the Rome of the West, Catholic St. Louis.